G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 9 of This Week in Startups Australia. Throughout Series 9, we're focusing on one question. What is it that makes a startup successful? Is it a great idea? Is it a great team? Is it great customers or something else altogether? This is an important question for all startups, a fundamental question. And on this series, we're looking for answers. We're talking to people who have been successful, asking them how it happened. We're talking to startups on the road to success and asking them how they plan to get there. And in this, our third news special of Series 9, We'll take a look at the resurgence of the pandemic here in Australia. How is it hitting our startup community? Then we'll look at Australia's newest unicorn and much more besides. All the news that startups need on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. Twista is sponsored by Odoo, a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that let you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Go to odoo.com slash Twista to check it out. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by User Testing. Experience what your customer experiences with User Testing. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash Twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed decisions for your business. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Squarespace. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. Go to squarespace.com slash Twista for a free trial. Twista's production partner for Series 9 is UTS Startups, where they're equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build the foundation for a successful career. To learn more about UTS Startups, go to startups.uts.edu.au. Our last news special, which aired 10 weeks ago, was recorded inside a studio at UTS with guests across from me, Andrea Gardner and Dean Durrell. That seems like a million years ago because of the pandemic. It's back. Melbourne and Adelaide have just come out of lockdown. Sydney is locked down for at least another month, and everyone knows it's going to be longer than that. And this in again and out again, it looks like the new normal, at least until the end of the year. So with that rather sober opener, let me introduce our expert panelists on this Twista new special. First, let me welcome back Annie Parker. Annie is of Murudi, Fishburners, and now Microsoft for Startups, where she is global lead for equity, inclusion, and social impact. Welcome back, Annie. And that is a great title. Could you expand on that? What are your marching orders? Thanks, Mark. It's great to be back. And I'm glad you like the job title because I kind of made it up myself. Um Look, the the genesis of where that job title came from was I've now been in Microsoft for a little over three years, which, again, feels like no time at all and a million years at the same time. Um, 
and we, we recognized that after I'd been there for a couple of years that we we really we were doing okay on you know numbers of women-led companies in the portfolio of the Microsoft for startups kind of portfolio globally. We're averaging at around 16 to 18%, which is globally about what you see in most programs. But it hadn't shifted for two years. So the the sort of the the internal kind of conversation we starting we were starting to have was, well, why is that? And we kind of sort of went back to first principles and realized we weren't doing anything specifically different to genuinely understand the needs of different underrepresented communities and whether or not the offers that we had in the market for them were actually going to shift the dial. And I'll give you one tiny example. One of the criteria that quite a lot of accelerator programs or startup programs around the world have is whether or not you have institutional funding. Now, if we also recognize that less than 2% of funding goes to women-led companies and those numbers get even lower for other underrepresented groups, then by the very definition of the criteria you've created, you're actually automatically making it difficult for underrepresented founders to successfully get into your program. And the other thing that that does is it sends a very clear message of, if you haven't got funding, you're not welcome. Now, one of the other things that we've done to try and combat against that is to then say, well, if you're from an underrepresented group and you have 10 years of industry experience or you've got a PhD in the field that you're solving for, then frankly, that's better than institutional funding anyway. So why don't we, we're just going to we're going to have a slightly different set of criteria for underrepresented founder groups. And just by what that one change alone we've made a drastic influence on the number of underrepresented founders we bring into the program. So this is a very long-winded way of saying my job is to go through everything within the Microsoft for Startups program, right from you know, acceptance into the program to how we treat them, what sort of mentors we provide, the content we provide and the way we provide it, and making sure that it really does resonate for underrepresented groups to make sure that we do the very best job we can of finding them, recruiting them, helping them build and grow, and then celebrating their successes. And this is a really good example of if you fix the internals, if you align the internals, then the externals will work. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Joining Annie is another favorite guest on the show, Main Sequence Ventures managing partner, Phil Morrill. Welcome back, Phil. Hello, Mark. Hello, Annie. All right. So you've heard my opener. Phil, you are in lockdown along with me. The question here is now, can startups operate in this environment? Annie, what have you seen? How are startups trying to actually survive in this? Okay, I think you've probably got a few different categories of of different startups. So there's the category of founder who basically pivots their product pivots the way that they um, design or deliver their solution to perhaps kind of make the most of the fact that there's everybody working from home. So I'll give you an example. Um, Dr. Mel Dickinson, she's a, uh, she also has an, uh, an alter ego called Nano Girl. And what she was doing was providing STEM education events face-to-face over in New Zealand. It's a brilliant product, by the way. You should all take a look at it. And of course, as soon as the pandemic hit, she couldn't do face-to-face events anymore. So it forced her and the business to think about how they might deliver that differently. And it's now, I think, a 10-week online program. The way that they've thought about the costing model is such that if you pay for your kid to go on it, it then funds for an 
you know another kid who can't afford to um, pay for it so it's sort of like buy one get one free if you like for a kid that needs it most and just it's really helped her think through how to deliver the business model differently and I think you've got a category like that where that it's it's possible for founders to pivot and, and think about a different way to get their product to market um, but I do think it's it's difficult when you move into the more sort of enterprise and SaaS space because so many of those solutions require a conversation and a relationship building exercise. And we're humans, right? We still need that, oftentimes that face-to-face -face connection in order to sort of get that belief, build up the credibility. And I have seen that certainly for the enterprise startups out there who were talking to really large customers, that it, it's sort of elongating the sales cycle purely because of that reason. How about you, Phil? Have you seen anything similar? Yeah, I think founders are needing to adapt. And I think that example's a, a, a really good one about how, in many ways, we're accelerating their journey towards more efficient sales channels. Um, we, yeah, we, to take an extreme example, we, ha we have a company in our portfolio called RapidAim, which sells a digital alternative to pesticides in the field for farmers. And at the time that COVID hit, they were visiting the farm they were driving around in a four-wheel drive with a truckload of sensors and their digital communications tools and they were installing it for farmers and it took a long time and things broke down and and uh, now they've got this fully digital playbook where you can just put in all your details online stuff gets fulfilled and sent to you and it's all working magically and they probably delivered that a year ahead of where they would have been delivering it otherwise so I think I always, I always think with with yeah, it it sucks to be a startup anyway, right? <laughs> Whether or not it's there's a pandemic, it's we're all working in a an environment of adversity, and our job is to sort of navigate our way through that. Of course, some startups have got extreme adversity now. You know, they might be selling to the restaurant industry or something like that. That's that's very challenging. Or travel, travel, but. Um, but other than that, you know, most most companies, it's just another it's just another adversity that we need to kind of pivot around. And and certainly in our portfolio, um, you know, I think most people have landed in a in a good place. Now, one of the things that's important to note for listeners is that Annie, you're in England right now, and they're having a very different pandemic than we are in Sydney. We're locked down. We have had we're having several hundred cases a day, so it's quite serious here. But I mean, compared to the tens of thousands that are happening in the in England and hundreds of deaths, it's very different. And yet you're opening up. We're not. Part of the reason is because of our low vaccination rates here. Now, there was at the beginning of the month of July, before things really started to go pear-shaped here in Sydney, there was an op-ed in the AFR toward the back page, how to save the vaccine rollout. And they asked some folks who have been on this show, Adair Schiffman among them, what they would do. So I want to ask the both of you, is there anything meaningful that startup land can do to help goose an effort that is the embarrassment of the nation? <laughs> wow, what a delivery of the line. I mean, I, I, I'm always a little bit nervous of startups being the answer to life, the universe and everything. But I, I, I suppose one thing that startups have is, is a mindset which is helpful, um, you know, 
a wartime mindset or whatever you want to call it, something that 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 looks at a problem and then just goes at it. And I think I think we saw that at the beginning of the pandemic, and perhaps we're not seeing it so much now. But um, I was certainly a very proud human at the beginning of uh, the pandemic to see how everyone adapted and started making different things and volunteering and getting you know, into the mix to try and make a solution. And I think, you know, we can all see, you know, I would like to see more of that happening because I think that, you know, to your point, Mark, at the beginning of this um, this segment, we've, all, we've just kind of rested on our laurels and assume it's all normal now, haven't we? And um, that's kind of the problem in Australia right now. Annie, anything to add? Yeah, I was just going to say I agree with that concept of, you know, We've gone to she'll be right mentality when, well, she's not right, is she? Because we don't have a plan. And I think you know, that that lack of urgency is something that I find fascinating. Because if you look anywhere else in the world, the urgency isn't just on, all right, let's manage down to zero cases. I think we all recognize now we, we have moved on from that. We're moving on to a new phase of the pandemic, which is how do we manage to you know, low community transfer, high um, high vaccination rates, and the ability to be a little bit more nimble. We don't have that nimbleness anywhere right now. We've literally just got one plan. It's called lockdown in various different stages, and that is it. And the part that I find really, really frustrating is we waited a couple of months so that we could kind of watch what everybody else did and then we didn't do any of what those countries did. So we could have, we could have learned so much. We, we literally sat there for two or three months deliberately to watch and wait and see because we'd earn ourselves that right because we didn't have a high, high community transfer rate. And then we did nothing. That, I think, is unforgivable. And if you were a founder, if you were a startup, you honestly nobody would invest in you. Yeah, that would be a fatal error. All right, let me shift this conversation a little bit. One of the things that we saw almost everywhere in the world is that things actually became less equitable because of the pressures produced by the pandemic. Things went backward. Our equality clock went backward. So, Annie, in your role in equity, inclusion, and social impact for Microsoft for Startups, have you been seeing that amplified as well have has the startup world become less equitable over the last year because of the pandemic absolutely yeah just there's there's no way of um dressing this one up the amount of funding in women-led companies has gone backwards uh it's it was only at just over two percent anyway so we really weren't in a good spot so it went from terrible to more terrible um, and not only that, it's the amount of impact on not just women, by the way, but other underrepresented groups also had the same outcome there. But for certainly for women, we've ended up taking on more of the responsibilities in the household as well. So homeschooling, typically women ended up having to do most of that work as well as try and do their business or run their companies. Not only that, you saw how many women ended up being unemployed quicker because typically the jobs that they were doing were part of the um, you know, industries that got hit by lockdowns. And the part that really frustrates me most is things like childcare weren't really fun. We did for the first part of lockdown 
and then that was it. The the, the childcare provisions were were removed, and yeah. and it's just sort of it it wasn't just one thing that started to sort of make things more difficult. It was everything, and you layer all of that on top of each other. And I find it you know, almost if you find a woman led company right now or an underrepresented founder led company, and they're doing okay go give them money right now because they did that by themselves with absolutely no help from anyone. Imagine what they could do with a little bit of extra go faster stripes. One of the other things I did want to share though, is a, you know, a couple of little spots of interesting, ir irrespective of the pandemic. Um, and this one sort of went unnoticed for me. Uh, in California, they now have a law written into state law that you must have if you're a board, if you've got a board of five people or less, you have to have one woman. If you're six or more, it has to be two. And then I think it's eight or something. It has to be three or more. That went in in 2019. And they have seen the numbers, obviously, of women on boards significantly increase. So there are little pockets of goodness going on. And there are still things that are you know, sort of making significant improvements. And I think that for me is the other part of this. It's not just on founders to do all of the heavy lifting it's also on the rest of the ecosystem to figure out how they can make those tiny improvements too whether it's making sure you've got women on the board do you have partners in your vc fund who are women or from another underrepresented group as well because the statistics show that the more representation you have in how the funding gets doled out the better you will end up with results making sure that underrepresented founders get funding so yes it's rubbish yes it got worse but there are pockets of you know, sort of improvements and, and things that we can we can still call wins. You're listening to This Week in Startups. We'll be right back. Twista is proudly sponsored by Odoo. One of the toughest parts of building a company is choosing which tools and service providers to use. There are so many functions in a startup, and each space has endless vendors. There are sales tools, email marketing, accounting, HR and payroll, project management, customer support, point-of-sale, e-commerce. It goes on and on and on, and eventually you end up with a Franken-stack of tools that cost a lot and don't integrate properly. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that let you build and scale your stack as you scale your business. For instance, their accounting products are perfect for anyone who is ready to upgrade from Excel or QuickBooks, but doesn't want to break the bank with some of the more expensive options out there. It's simple and modular, so you use what you need and all of their apps integrate perfectly with each other. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's no joke. Take $1,000 off. Go to odoo.com slash Twista to check it out. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Twista. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia's third news special of Series 9. We're here with Microsoft for Startups, Annie Parker, and Main Sequence Ventures, Phil Morrill. All right, next topic, unicorns old and new. We love stories about success in Twister, particularly during Series 9. So let's go through two of them. First off, 
Canva, after its latest round of investment, is worth $40 billion. Phil, I have consistently heard grumblings about that valuation being exceptionally high. What do you reckon? You know, I, I, I think these days startups really are becoming valuable and not just high valuations, but they really can become valuable, massive companies in the, in the modern world. That the infrastructure that we have down around um, just even just the internet itself, the ability for these startups to scale very quickly. And you look at Canva as an example, it's just got millions of users um, uh, uh, finding great use in it every single day, and they can scale it very, very efficiently. So is it worth as much as the, the last valuation? I don't know. Is it a very, very valuable company? Absolutely. And, you know, I think we talk a lot in this in this country about the next Atlassians. And and I think we're going to see a whole bunch of those um, emerge. And, you know, that they sure some of them will be digital companies like Canva. But I think this this um, this generation of startups that are starting to rise out of Australia, you know, they're you know, they're curing cancer, they're, they're reinventing energy, they're doing incredibly valuable things and they will become very valuable companies. But I think, I think the other thing that's driving this is that there are not many places to put your money these days to make a return and that's driving the investor market to go looking for things and it's pushing more money into venture so that venture um, can give investors, give our, our, our superannuation funds and, and so on the returns that, that we, we expect. And, um, and that means that the venture capitalists are all competing for the deals so that they can actually give those returns to our investors and the super funds. And we're competing. And often that's done on price. And yeah, one of the one of the one of the big talks of the VC community at the moment is how some of the big players like Tiger Global are uh, competing with the rest of us, and their their competitive strategy is cut a big check, uh, take a week to make the decision, do very little due diligence, put a really high valuation on it, and then leave the founders alone, and do that with late stage companies. But it's fueling. Um, it's fueling quite a lot of uh, uplift in pricing that we're seeing. But I, you know, certainly in in our fund, um, whilst we're <laughs> we're very mindful of it and we talk about it a lot, um, in the end we're kind of bullish about the value of the companies that are rising right now. Annie, what do you reckon? I think it's about blooming time. Yeah, you know, when I first got to Australia eight years ago, uh, yeah, we were talking about this sort of. <laughs> every layer of the the ecosystem sort of getting to a point where it was growing up you know you need more founders with two or three laps around the block of startup experience because those are the ones who will perhaps kind of come onto the most successful companies you know once they've got that you know they've built up their knowledge of that didn't work that didn't work okay i know how to do this now and just making sure that there's that depth in the in the bench on their on our mentors making sure we have the same with angel investors and frankly it's about time the vc industry had a little bit of competition this is good this is only good for founders because it means it gives them more choice so you know i think there's a huge amount to be really happy about there and 
look, here's the other part. If you're you know, in the middle of a pandemic as well right now, it's really hard to get overseas from Australia. So it means we've kind of got a captive audience. So, you know, one of the other things I'm also seeing a lot more of as well is more angel investors willing to kind of write small checks, you know, $1,000, $2,000. Great, because that means we have even more, you know, sort of early stage money going in from people who are vested in the success of that company. So honestly, I think it's about time Australia grew up and it's great to see it happening. I think there's a few other things happening as well here, which is which is great for founders. Um, when, when the pandemic slammed down last March, I remember speaking to my peers around the world and saying, are you investing still? And, and they would say, no, you know, we'll, we'll take calls um, and then we'll let this pandemic thing play out. And then, you know, we'll come and visit at that time and then we'll sort of, then we'll be able to start investing again. I think that probably lasted about two months. And, and then people learned how to invest over Zoom, which is, and I, I say to, to Australian founders, like, this is, this is an amazing time for you to have parity with any Silicon Valley founder. You can meet on the same terms in the same window. And, you know, on the amount of money, I mean, last year, um, VCs put $60 billion into startups in the second quarter of the year. This year in the second quarter, 156 billion. I mean, that's the that's the increase in money that's going into founders' companies. And and you know, as somebody that's helped so many early stage companies, too many companies in the past have died because there just hasn't been the capital. You know, they've just been on a smell of an oily rag for way too long. They can't possibly deliver it. And now at last, you know, there's enough capital flowing in to give them a crack. And when, you know, to give you an, when, when I founded Polonizer with Mick Lubinskas, in that year, the entire pool of venture capital in Australia was smaller than our fund today. <laughs> so that's, that's another measure of how far we've come as a country. Okay. So we've gone from the big, the Canva, and then just this past week, a startup I had not heard of called Go One out of Melbourne that make educational tools, sort of short courses that you can run for your companies. They got a nice big chunk of change, I think around $200 million, and that put their valuation above $1 billion US. So they are now a unicorn. I'm not sure if I, I've ever done, has ever, if anyone's done a count of the number of Australian unicorns. First off, who wants to tell me something about Go One? If you've met them or had something to do with them, would be great to learn more. But then, both of you, should we be seeing a natural acceleration in the number of unicorns here? Now that, as you said, Andy, we have been making more walks around the block. So I'll, I'll answer the first I, question I think first. We so definitely. I was going to say I know the Go One team. So Go ahead, M twelve Microsoft's venture capital fund um, did invest in them a couple of years ago. So. Because they have an enterprise training solution, we obviously see a, a, a decent fit for that as an offer to the customer base, to our partner network. You know, it's it's a it's a relatively simple kind of concept, but it's also really really hard to do it and do it well. So the Go One team have done a great job of that. Um, like I say, M Twelve invested a good, I think it was at least two years ago. So yeah, they're they're doing really well. It's. A company that I have not met, and um, 
But if you look at them from the outside, you know, I see a company of these times um, and therefore a company that's valuable. If I ask myself, a company doing what they're doing, could they be making hundreds of millions of dollars a year? Absolutely. And, um, and just seeing this, this world where we're all having to rapidly retrain, how many people are currently not in work and be going back to work when we come through the pandemic and need to be trained into another. And uh, we're seeing a massive disruption about what jobs are, right? All those those jobs that were on life support are kind of going. New jobs are coming. People need to be retrained. And you can see the go one fit. But there's another... There's another interesting thing about this, and maybe I'll have to get the backstory off off Annie at some point. But I, I told you about Tiger Global in the last segment. Look at who's in the round for Go One. <laughs> so they came in and they quickly wrote a big check, right? I suspect so. Yeah. All right, so folks, if we are going to sort of have a bit of a clock here, how many? unicorns should we expect to see come out of startup land in Australia in a given year? Should we be looking for one? Should we be looking for more than one? Is it right to even ask that question? It does feel like the tempo has clearly changed. Definitely more than one. I think, I, I you know, I think, I think we're seeing a lot of companies making quite big leaps in value. You know, we have a, a couple in our portfolio, certainly, a Blackbird and Airtree have got some 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 great companies sort of stomping out of their portfolio, and I think we've just got look at how many deals um, we've we we closed our fund around Easter time, and we've done twelve deals, and look at how many deals Blackbird are doing, and uh, look at how much investment is coming into this country, and look at the great companies we're making, you know, world world class companies. So I think uh, you know easily. Easily more than two, I'd be expecting. And you reckon more than two unicorns a year? Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, it does. It does. And and I'm going to probably answer it slightly differently and go to your other question of is that the right question to be asking? I prefer to look at you know how many how many companies do we have in the country that are generating you know significant revenue, right? So. You know, in the in the first sort of Series A round, we always look for you over a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. I care more about that than the 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 size of the valuation, because to Phil's point, you know, how much is something worth? Whatever someone's willing to pay for it. Do you have a healthy company that's got recurring revenue, customers who love you? If you've got that, I don't care whether or not you're the size of a unicorn or the size of a minnow. <laughs> Beautifully put. All right, you're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. When we come back, we will return to the core theme of Series 9, success. Twista is proudly sponsored by User Testing. Are you launching a new product, developing a new prototype, rolling out a new campaign? User testing lets you see, hear, and talk to your customers to understand how they experience your brand, your product, and your services. Chubby's, a men's casual apparel brand, 
gained valuable insights by asking some of their customers to explain why they love their chubby shorts when they wore them last, even asking for new product suggestions to guide their product roadmap. So put yourself in your customer's shoes with user testing. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed decisions at scale. And we're back with Main Sequence Ventures managing partner Phil Morrill and Microsoft for Startups' Annie Parker. Now, I have been asking every guest on Series 9 to reflect on what it takes for a startup to become successful. Both of you have acres and acres of experience here. You have seen a lot of startups. You've advised more than a few startups. What have each of you learned in your extensive, deep experience about what makes for a successful startup? Phil, let's start with you. Thanks, Mark. I'm very much going to come at this from the perspective of, first of all, an entrepreneur that is now a venture capitalist. And so I've kind of I'm kind of looking back at my old life with some perspective um, and and also a um, a person working in the deep tech world looking at how those companies in particular can be successful. So a few things. The first thing is um, I'm really seeing a lot of success from companies that think in terms of leaps and not in terms of growth curves. Um, it's especially important working with investors to really talk about how this work that we're just about to do with your money, here's the value that it's going to create. And it looks more like a series of steps. And this is how great companies actually work with the investor community to actually purposefully and deliberately drive up the value with the power of the capital behind them and all the support behind them. Uh, and it's a different it's a different way of thinking. Um, I think most of us intuitively as entrepreneurs, we think about just building a great business, which of course we have to do. that's that's table stakes. But it's an extra layer on top of that about how do we how do we design the growth of the company? And um, the second thing is is how do we how do we think of the company like a movie studio packages a movie, right? How do we think about um, what this startup is looking like from the outside? Does it have all the elements? Does it excite people? Um, is it, um, you know, is it packaged properly? Does it look professional? You know, this, this is a particular thing in deep tech, which is very pronounced because often we will have, engineer-laden founders at the heart of something with no um, no awareness of, of aesthetics and what things feel like from the outside and and lots of unknown unknowns about you know sales stories and just PR and what appears in the media about your company. So I like to spend a lot of time with companies just sort of packaging them up so that everyone's seeing what they know their company to be. Um, and then related to that is really showing a whole company as soon as possible. So we 
you know, we quite often see companies that begin with an, an idea, a, a, a patent or a scientific discovery or something that's been proven in a lab. And the intuitive next step for people is uh, to do a bunch more work in the lab and get some technology regulated, for example, or do lots of private prototypes and show it to a few people. Um, but this sort of serial process makes it very difficult to um, to uh, reveal a company in time. Yeah, these these are the companies that people go, oh, "Gosh, hasn't that company been around for six years?" And like they haven't really heard anything from them. And of course, they're doing extremely valuable things, but they haven't revealed themselves. And I think we all know that um, a powerful thing happens in startups when, when, you, when you light the flame on top of a hill, then the market comes towards you. They know where to come. People that, that you didn't even know were out there that can help you <laughs> come to you. Um, and so, um, so I like to spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff as well. Annie, what about you? What have you learned? I'm going to do two buckets of advice, right? So the first bucket is for those of you who are probably just starting out really early, scrappy stage. The first thing I would say, and I actually learned this one from Mick, Phil, um, you have to, have to, have to be honest as co-founders. Please make sure that you have those brutally honest conversations with each other on everything, you know, how you're feeling, who feels like they're probably doing more work than the other one. Um, what does success look like? Does one of you want a $5 million company and the other wants to be a unicorn? It's really important to get those sort of honest but brutally tough conversations done at the get-go. And you need to keep being brutally honest with each other as you keep growing. Um, hire slow and fire fast and hire diversely. Trust me. You do not want to just hire people who look like you if you're a white guy, particularly, because you cannot build a product that serves the world if you do not have a team that represents it. And you're never, ever done with the product market fit conversation. Keep going back to your customers, getting those reviews, getting the updates from them on what they love, what they don't love about what you're doing. Because again, even though you may have done this six months ago, the world changes really quickly. So never, ever drop that kind of product um, review with your customers. For those of you who are a bit later stage, never stop, keep going. I know it's hard and I know that you know sometimes you probably do wanna give it all up and probably go and get a job stacking shelves in a supermarket. That's the moment when you shouldn't stop because that's, that's the toughness of what you need to be as a, you know, a, a long-term founder. You have to invest in yourself as a leader, though. Um, you can't be expected to know everything at all times. And one of the other things that you, you absolutely need to invest in, and Phil kind of touched on this, is the art of storytelling. Whether it's telling the story to attract the right talent into your company as employees, whether it's attracting the right customers who can be your long-term partners, whether it's telling that story so that you get the very best investors getting interested in your business. The art of storytelling is something that the, the best founders out there absolutely keep investing in themselves to make sure that they're doing that. Now, I said this one in the first bucket, but it's important in the second bucket as well. Hire diversely and build a culture that you're proud of. 
I can't tell you how much this will blow up in your face if you get this wrong. And let me thank both of you sincerely from the bottom of my heart, all that you have done and all that you have shared. Thank you for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. Twista is proudly sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. With Squarespace, you can blog, publish content, promote your business, announce upcoming events and special projects, sell products and services of all kinds, and much more. No matter what you need to do online, Squarespace has the answer. And don't take their word for it. Here's what the folks at Remote Demo Day have to say. Now, back in 2020, they decided to create Remote Demo Day for founders to pitch to thousands of angel investors live. They purchased the domain remotedemoday.com and had the site up and running in minutes because Squarespace is so easy to use. Remote Demo Day has been a success so far and Squarespace has played a huge part in that. From websites to online stores, from marketing tools to analytics, Squarespace has what you need to succeed online. Go to squarespace.com slash twista for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, Use the code TWISTA to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash TWISTA. Listening to Annie and Phil reflect upon success, one thing leapt out at me, that lighting of the flame. That's how Phil called it, but really Annie called it storytelling, that this is an important thing because it's not just what you are to the world and how the world sees you so that the market can come to you. It's what you're telling yourself about what you're doing and why you're doing it, who you're doing it for, who you're doing it with. It's that storytelling and the founders who can master that storytelling, and that is practice, practice, practice. The founders who master that are the ones who are well on the path to success. Big thanks to Twista sponsors User Testing, Squarespace, and Odoo. Thanks to Annie Parker and Phil Morrill for making the time to come on to our show. Come visit our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, and all the links to all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back next week with the third of our conversations with successful startup entrepreneurs. Tim Fong, founder and CEO of Airtasker, talking about what he's learned by going public on the ASX and what he's learned about success. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.